The Children Trap The Biblical Blueprint for Education This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit garynorth.com forward slash freebooks to download this book. Chapter 4 He Who Pays the Teachers Will Control Education Quote Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them for a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Unquote. Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Wow! A free education, plus the delicacies of the king's table, social mixing with the sons of the rulers, full-time tutors too. What an opportunity! But what kind of opportunity was it? It was an opportunity to serve the king. The expense of their education was not being provided as a free gift. There was a price to be paid. In the case of the three young men, known by their Babylonian names as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the price was a visit to the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 to 30. He who pays the piper calls the tune. The Bible says that God is the source of all wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. The source of all good things. James chapter 1, verse 17. God pays all the pipers. We are his pipers. He calls the tune. There is no such thing as a free education. Organization. If you want to find out who is calling the institutional tune, find out who is paying the piper. In education, it isn't always clear just who is paying the piper. The less clear it is, the more power the hired pipers will possess. As in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, education is delivered by tutors. The principle of sovereignty is always hierarchical. God delegates authority to men, and they in turn must delegate authority to those under them. Tutors possess authority over children only to the extent that they have been granted lawful authority by those who are financing the educational system. But if this control is not actively exercised by those who pay, then the tutors will be tempted to believe that they are sovereign, just as simple man concludes that his own strength has made him wealthy. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 The servants will then begin to dictate terms to the sovereigns. This is the age-old story of bureaucracy. In ancient Babylon, the king could say, off with their heads. In the modern world, the sovereigns can say, off with their funds. If they are in any way prohibited from saying this, then the bureaucrats will steadily become the sovereigns in fact, if not in law. He who pays the piper had better call the tunes, or else the pipers will start calling them and then demand higher wages for fewer tunes. Structuring the Christian School Christian schools can be organised in several ways. The school can be under the authority of a church. Elders, deacons, bishops or the congregation itself would have control in a church school. 
The church might have a school board to look after the policies and operation of the school. Parents would exercise control in various ways. They might be officers in the church, might have a vote in congregational meetings, and might serve on the board. Another type of organisation is a Christian school society made up of interested parties. The parents select a board, which effectively runs the school. This affords the parents a considerable amount of control. Yet, a different arrangement is the profit-seeking, owner-operated private Christian school. I operate this kind of school, so I'm very familiar with it. We have a tax-paying school. The private Christian school which I operate has no board. A closely held corporation could also run a school, either on a tax-paying or a tax-exempt basis. Or the corporation could be publicly held. Control through enrolment. How does a parent control the education of his child in these various forms of organisation? The parent has the power of choice. He may choose among the various schools available in his community. If he doesn't like any of them, he has the option to educate his children at home, start another school or move to another community. The government school allows no choice. You are assigned a school district based on where you live. District lines may be redrawn at will. The school may be closed and the children sent to another one. The government may bust your child across town. When I was in Louisville, Kentucky several years ago, families told me that some of their children went to local schools while others were bused miles away in different directions. For the most part, the government dictates which school your child will attend. Deciding to patronise one Christian school rather than another is the most important choice the parent makes. The parent is in control. In a free market economy, the consumer is king. Consumers make millions of choices in the marketplace every day. They choose this brand of soap rather than that one. They buy this make of car rather than another. They decide what they want to buy, how much they will pay, and from whom they will buy. They have the money, so they have control. If a seller says to a consumer, take it or leave it, the consumer can usually leave it. The seller gets no sale. In being free to choose a school for his child, the parent is in the same situation. Buying an education for a child is a free market transaction. No coercion is used, nor should it be used. The parent is not forced to enrol his child in the school he does not like. He is not forced to pay for something he doesn't want. Not only may the parent enrol his child in the school of his choice, but also he has the option to withdraw the child at any time. God has created man as a free moral agent. The father is given the freedom and responsibility to provide for the education of his children. Parental control of education is absolutely basic in the biblical scheme of things. Parental control and financing A Supreme Court justice said that whatever the government subsidises, it may legally control. Money talks. It talks in politics. And it talks in the free market. It is the instrument of control. The founding fathers of the United States realised that man is a sinner. They knew the danger of a powerful centralised government. They wrote into the United States Constitution a system of checks and balances to control the federal government. Money could be spent only if appropriated by Congress. All tax bills must originate in the House of Representatives. 
It is the more numerous branch of the legislature. The term of office in this branch is only two years. A free-spending House of Representatives must stand before the voters every 24 months, thus giving the people better control over government. That spending hasn't been restrained in recent decades for reasons that are beyond the scope of this book. In any event, the authors of the Constitution recognise the importance of purse strings. Pocketbook control is important in a Christian school. If parents do not enrol their children in a school, the school will suffer financially. The material prosperity of a school is dependent on the willingness of parents to pay tuition. Is this morally correct? Christians might ask. Christians might ask, quote, Why should a Christian school be concerned about material prosperity? After all, the school is supposed to be doing the work of the Lord. A school is not a commercial enterprise. It is not concerned with the bottom line. Who cares whether it makes a profit or not? End quote. This is the problem with a lot of our thinking. We tend to equate poverty with spirituality. We suppose that to be poor is to be godly. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 to 14, God promises his people that if they obey his commands, all kinds of blessing will come to them. Their fields, cattle, sheep, etc. will be blessed by God. These are material blessings. God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. He increased Abraham's flocks and made him rich with silver and gold. He prospered Job because Job was obedient. Jesus says that God's people are to inherit the earth. Gary North's book on economic principles in the Biblical Blueprint series is titled Inherit the Earth. God tells us in the Old Testament that when riches increase, we're not to set our hearts upon them. Jesus warns of the danger of worshipping mammon instead of God. We should not conclude that because worshipping material things is wrong, the material universe itself is sinful. Man is a sinner and the curse is on the ground because of man's sin. God created the material universe for man to cultivate and enjoy. Man is to have dominion over the earth. What does this have to do with pocketbook control over a Christian school? I think we need to answer that question by looking further at the reasons for educating our children. Why educate our children? We teach our children the way of salvation. We teach them to love God and serve Him. We want the school to assist us in helping our children to know God. God has called us to have dominion over the earth. Adam was to dress the garden and to keep it. Work is a basic institution. Man's labour is under the curse because of Adam's sin. A tithe of the increase of his wealth is to be given to God. Some of his wealth is to be given to the poor. A child learns to read in order that he may read the Bible for himself. He also needs to be able to read books, magazines and newspapers. A person needs information in order to improve his standard of living. Reading is an important means of gaining knowledge. A Christian school that produces superior readers is providing a valuable service to the parents. The same can be said about the study of numbers. Numbers represent relationships that exist in God's world. Arithmetic and mathematics are vital to an understanding of the world. The computer is an important tool in modern business. The advances in scientific technology could not have taken place without the study of mathematics. The study of physics, chemistry, biology, history, art, music, etc. 
all serve to enrich our lives. Educating our children is an investment. It has a monetary benefit. When we choose a school for our children, we want to know how that school will help prepare our children for the future. We also equip them to support us in our old age. If this becomes necessary, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. This is one reason why your children's tuition bill should not be regarded as part of the family's tithe. Tithes go to God. Investments are made with after-tithe income. The school that is excellent will be rewarded. Parents will determine which of several schools provides the best return on their educational dollars. The schools that do a poor job will be weeded out over time. The ones that operate most efficiently will expand. This is how pocketbook control works. A few years ago, a presidential commission dealing with education in America reported that we have a, quote, rising tide of mediocrity, end quote, in the public schools. This is exactly what we should have expected and what critics of the public schools predicted a century ago. Parents have the greatest incentive to see to it that their children get a quality education. The government schools don't permit effective pocketbook control by the parents. This system was deliberately designed by professional state-hired educators to reduce parental control. Incompetent teachers are retained in the public schools because they have tenure. They are also protected by militant teacher unions with political power. The schools are not competitive because there is a virtual government monopoly on education. The result is mediocrity, or worse. The cost is much too high because the state schools are not answerable to the parents directly. They are funded by the taxpayers through the politicians. Parental control and discipline. A major complaint about the public schools is a lack of discipline. Some teachers get extra pay for, quote, combat duty, end quote, in the inner cities. The situation is so bad that schools have had to bring in uniformed police to walk the halls. Murders occur at our government schools. Dope is peddled all over the place. Physical attacks on the teachers are a problem, not to mention the verbal abuse the teachers are subject to. Why is discipline a problem in the government schools? I was once asked to speak to a public school, PTA, parent-teacher association, on the subject of discipline. I warned them at the time of the invitation that I was opposed to the public school concept. They said to come anyway because they were getting desperate and needed advice. I took my Bible and gave them both barrels. I pointed out that the secular basis on which the government schools were operating was their problem. You can't remove God and the Bible from schools and expect to maintain order. The students cannot be told that they have an animal origin and then be expected to behave as human beings. The government schools have discipline problems because they have divorced education from God and from the family. The word discipline is from the Latin word for disciple. A disciple is a learner. What we commonly call discipline should be termed punishment. Discipline has to do with learning. If there is a lot of teaching and learning going on in a classroom, there will not be a need for much punishment. Learning has to be set in a moral and religious context. It involves a relationship to God and his world. The Christian school is teaching love for God and love for our neighbour. The Christian school teaches responsibility under God's law. Children respond to this. 
It is the loving care of a parent extended to the classroom by teachers who stand in the place of parents. The government school today has only force. The kids are forced to come and taxpayers are forced to pay the bill. The teachers are controlled by the state, not the parents. The teachers do not get cooperation from the parents because the parents, who have not freely chosen to place their children in the school, when a child misbehaves in a government school, what is the teacher supposed to do? The teacher cannot appeal to the authority of God or his word. This is not allowed in our secularised government schools. The schools have difficulty suspending or expelling the children. That goes contrary to the status philosophy of compulsory education. They compel the children to attend school. It is difficult to turn around and compel the children to stay away. The teacher in the government school tries to get parental cooperation with an unruly child. Many of the problem children in the schools come from homes in which the parents don't care anyway. This is often the source of the problem. The homes are often without a father. The situation itself is frequently caused by the welfare state with its anti-family policies. So the teacher gets little or no cooperation from the parents. The situation in the Christian school is different. The parents place their children in the school voluntarily. The children are accepted by the school in a free market transaction. The parents are paying the tuition. They won't stand for disruptive classrooms that cheat their children out of the education they are paying for with hard-earned money. They know that there is no such thing as a free lunch and there is no such thing as free education. Because they are paying directly for the school, they have much greater interest in a good atmosphere for learning. In short, money talks. Children misbehave in Christian schools also. Children are born with sinful natures and perfection is not reached on this earth, even by the most sanctified. The difference in the Christian school is that through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the child receives a new nature. The law of God can be freely taught. The teachers counsel and pray with the students in terms of God and his requirements. The parents support the teachers in a Christian school because the school is both religiously and financially an extension of the home. I remember the last day of school in my first year of teaching at our Christian school. One of the 8th grade students decided that she was going to do whatever she pleased that day. I asked whether she had work to do and when she replied in the negative, I gave her an assignment. I'm not going to do it, she defiantly replied. I said nothing. I walked to a corner of the room and called her father on the telephone. He asked that she come to the phone. He told her to do the assignment. When she came back, she assured me she would do the work, but, quote, only because my dad said to. That is fine with me, I retorted, because I'm only working for your father anyway. The Christian school has the correct foundation for orderly learning. If a student does not obey in the classroom, the matter can be referred to the parents. If the parents exert biblical authority, good results should be forthcoming. If the parents do not want to support biblical behaviour in the school, the school can expel an unruly student. If the school does not maintain standards, then the parent can enrol the child in a school that does. Another factor that makes for good order in the Christian school is that Christians worship a God who has created a world with purpose. God states in Genesis chapter 1 verse 16 that he made the sun to, quote, 
rule the day, unquote, and a moon to, quote, rule the night, unquote. This indicates purpose in the universe. Everything in God's universe has purpose and meaning. All history has meaning because God is the author of history. We do not live in a chance universe. The Christian school classroom reflects order and meaning because the Christian seeks to pattern his thoughts after God's thoughts. The secular classroom reflects the chaos and disorder that stem from a denial of creation. When God is left out, learning has no meaning. Any discipline in such a school becomes mere imposition of force. Parental control and academic results Two decades ago, a Japanese student was attending Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He wanted to attend a major American university the following year. He had to take the graduate record exam as a requirement to get in. It had both an English section and a mathematics section. He had not had a course in mathematics since high school, at least six years earlier. He took the exam. Afterward, he complained to one of his classmates. The mathematics section was too easy. Too easy. He shook his head in disbelief. This was for graduate students. When the results came in, he was in the 80th percentile in English, but the 99th percentile in mathematics. He was correct. The exam was too easy. Several years ago, a math examination was conducted among the major nations of the world. The Japanese, with a 41 to 1 pupil-teacher ratio, did the best. Two things characterised the Japanese approach. They had drill, drill, drill in the elementary schools. Also, the parents taught the children before they entered school. Both ideas have been anathema in American public schools. Drill is considered a bad word. It is considered dull. Parents are discouraged from teaching their children at home. Years ago, we enrolled a first grader whose father was in the United States Department of Education, or whatever it was called then. The father had a PhD. The first grader could not even count to ten. I thought he must be a slow learner. I soon discovered that he had an excellent mind. The parents had deliberately refrained from teaching the boy. The result was that other students were well ahead of him. Government school officials don't want much parental involvement. They want the parents in their capacity as taxpayers to pay the bills. They want the children fed, clothed and put on the bus. They want them to attend PTA to make it look as though they have some say in the education of the children. What they don't want is parents who try to dictate to the school about such things as textbooks and discipline. Many school systems not only give no homework, but even forbid the children to take the textbooks home. The result is that parents in government schools have little or no involvement in the education of their offspring. If parents are concerned about the poor academic results in the public schools, they have a difficult time making the necessary changes to improve the schools. Since the schools are public, they must be democratic, in the sense that everyone must be treated equally. I will go into more detail in a later chapter. I will only point out now that academic standards in America's public schools have dropped dramatically. The schools just tell the parents to give them more money and everything will be fine. The schools don't give the parents control, but they like to hold the parents responsible for the poor academic results. 
Deflecting parental control. Politics. Parents have very little say in the way public schools are run because the real control is political. Even the political control can be rather remote. The city of Fairfax is a political entity surrounded by Fairfax County, Virginia. Children in Fairfax City attend public schools which are supervised by a school board. That school board is appointed by a city council which is elected by the citizens. The schools in Fairfax City are not even run by the city school board. They are operated by the Fairfax County School Board which is appointed by the county supervisors who are elected by residents of Fairfax County. Added to this situation is the fact that the State Board of Education, appointed by the Governor, has a lot of say in the local schools. This is not to mention the State Legislature, the Congress, the Federal Department of Education, plus all the courts up to and including the Supreme Court. Who is in charge anyway? Certainly not the parents. Maybe a case could be made that the NEA Teachers Union controls the schools. They are the most powerful political lobby in the country. They want to be the foxes who guard the henhouse. They want the parents to subsidise the humanists indoctrinating of their children. They vote as a bloc to get what they want. The teacher training institutions also exercise important influence. That is why the humanists want their graduates to have a monopoly on the public school pulpits. The courts exercise tremendous influence virtually dictating school policy in some areas. The little red schoolhouse with your friendly neighbours setting policy is long gone in America. So, increasingly, are friendly neighbours. Do you know the names of the family members of the people who live in the houses four doors on each side of you? How many times have you eaten dinner with them? In short, humanist kidnappers are demanding ransom, and Christian parents are paying it. But they never send the children back, they keep them, and then try to get the parents to send them on for, quote, advanced kidnapping, unquote, a humanistic college. Buying control. When you enroll your child in a Christian school, the situation is different. You can directly influence and control the education of your child. In the Christian school I operate, everyone knows that Mr. T is the headmaster. If there is a question about curriculum, transportation, discipline, report cards or whatever, the parent knows who is responsible. Earlier, I showed how parental control makes for good discipline. The same is true for academics. The parent, in effect, says, Produce, or I will place my child in another school. He looks for results, not excuses. That huge playing field at your local public high school is an excuse Look at our terrific facilities! How can you complain? The issue isn't a school's facilities. The issue is the quality of the education received and retained. Parents don't have to worry about all the ingredients that go into making a school a good one. When I go to the grocery store, I do not concern myself with how they manage to give me such variety and quality from the money I pay. That is their problem. If they don't produce, I go elsewhere. But suppose the government had a monopoly on groceries. Can you imagine what it would be like? I can. There would be high prices, inferior merchandise, short hours and long lines. 
there would be surly checkout girls. You know what the slogan of most government bureaucrats is if they have to meet the public? Surly to bed and surly to rise. The Christian school cannot afford poor academic quality. Parents are not forced to pay and they will not continue to patronise the schools if they do not produce. The Christian school gets the message quickly if it is not producing. In contrast, the government schools take years, even decades, to respond to needed educational change. Even then, because they are based on faulty premises, they flounder from one bad experiment after another. The Christian schools have a long way to go, but they are already well ahead of the government schools, and the price is much lower. Control and change The humanists are fond of saying, we live in a changing world. They like to think of themselves as progressive. Humanist education is called progressive education. It should be called regressive education because it is a throwback to the kind of state-controlled system that characterised ancient Sparta in Greece. The system was ultra-conservative. No changes were allowed. This is interesting because the secular humanists of our day think Christians are reactionaries who want to turn the clock back. The fact of the matter is that Christians who think biblically realise that history is linear. We are moving toward the consummation of all things. The Christian does not worship change, but he realises that progress comes with change. Change in itself is not always good. New management may not be better management. Change may be for the worst as well as for the better. The Christian can determine whether change is for the better by judging all things by that one who never changes, God himself. Modern life moves along quickly in so many ways. Most of the jobs that exist today were unheard of 50 years ago. Anyone who does not keep pace with the modern world will find it more difficult to adjust. The point is that the schools must prepare children for the real world in which we live and the world which will exist in the future. The government schools are at a distinct disadvantage here because they cannot adjust quickly. They are a ponderous bureaucracy, not an efficiently run business. They are subject to the whims of politicians whose main concern is with the next election, not the next generation. Parents who send their children to a Christian school have a much better way to see that the programme of the school meets the needs of the children as the parents receive them. The Christian school, with its local control and parental involvement, has the flexibility to make the changes that are needed to improve education. Summary The question of parental authority cannot be separated from the question of school financing. To the degree that parents are not totally responsible financially for the education of their children, to that extent they have abdicated control over that education. He who pays the piper calls the tune. State education is deliberately designed to transfer the control over education away from parents, and especially Christian parents, and toward humanist control through politics and bureaucratic licensing. Teacher unions have become political, for this is the way educators retain control over the schools. Christian voters have repeatedly voted for this system. They have believed the lie. Free education. There is no such thing as free education. It is the power of the purse that constitutes the parent's primary means of control over the content and method of education.
To abdicate this financial and moral responsibility is to deliver the next generation into the hands of the kidnappers. In summary, 1. God pays all pipers. 2. God calls all tunes. 3. There is no such thing as a free education. 4. The less clear it is who is paying the pipers, the more power the pipers have in calling the tunes. 5. The school is morally an extension of the family. 6. Teachers are hired tutors. 7. There are several ways to structure control in a Christian school. 8. Parents gain control of the schools by retaining the authority to buy their children an education at competing schools. 9. Government school systems restrict this freedom of choice. 10. Without a free market in education, the parent's authority is restricted or even eliminated. 11. Money talks. 12. Too many Christians equate poverty with spirituality. 13. Educating our children is an investment. 14. Tuition payments are not part of a parent's tithe. 15. Discipline problems are rising in public schools because parents are not in control. 16. Learning must go on in a moral context. 17. The government school today uses force, not moral suasion. 18. Parents can buy better discipline in private schools. 19. Money talks. 20. Government school officials do not want parents to control them. 21. The real control is political. 22. Teachers' unions are therefore political. The foxes wish to guard the henhouse. 23. Humanist kidnappers are demanding that Christian parents pay ransom, but the children are never returned to them. 24. Christian schools are forced to compete. They dare not ignore most parents. 25. Progressive education is regressive. It is ancient humanism. 26. Christian education is progressive, a philosophy of linear history. 27. Government-controlled schools are inflexible bureaucracies. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.